Hi everyone and welcome to the Effortless Weddings Podcast. My name is Heidi, I'm your host, a marriage celebrant in Melbourne, and each week I talk to a wedding industry professional about how we can help you with planning your wedding. Not anyone else's idea of a wedding, your wedding, an event that is meaningful to you. We guide you through figuring out what that means with the aim of making it all completely effortless. Today, I chat with Doctor of Psychology Stuart Norton about the benefits of accessing premarital and ongoing relationship and counselling services. With a person-centred and collaborative approach, Stuart places particular importance on attempting to balance the interests of each individual with those of the couple as a whole, and he draws on various approaches based on the needs and expectations identified during discussions with his clients. So hi, Stuart. How are you going today? Very well, Heidi. Good to talk to you. Thank you for joining us on the Effortless Weddings podcast. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. And should I call you doctor? Nah, call me Stuart. No, just Stuart. <laughs> what is your actual qualification? Um, doctor of psychology. Doctor of psychology. So not yeah. a psychiatrist, a psychologist. No, no. So I can't, yeah. I can't prescribe you any medication or anyone else, unfortunately. Oh, but. oh that's unfortunate, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll make do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I'm a psychologist, specialise in, uh, well, I basically do 100% counselling of individuals couples groups children all ages lots of different issues maybe half my work is individual counseling for all sorts of reasons and the other half is relationship counseling okay how long have you been yeah. doing it um i was just looking at my cv the other day actually and um uh, i think the first counseling i ever did would have been back in i think 2000 and six perhaps i think was lifeline oh, yeah um so that was just a volunteer thing i did at lifeline while i was starting my when i was finishing off my psychology degree and then i did um internships one of which was relationships australia so that was the first that was the first relationship counseling that i did had some good training there and then um and then it kind of slowly moved into private practice and tried to do a lot of relationship counseling from there and then at some point, a few years into my career, I joined the Heart Centre, that the place where I think you got in contact with, with me via them. Yep. Um, and so they're an they're a association of psychologists who uh, generate a lot of referrals to me and the other psychologists. And so a lot of the couples I work with come via that, that stream. So you've got your name out there in a few different ways for people to be able to find you then? Yeah, I've... Um, I haven't done much in terms of self-promotion or anything, but um, just slowly built up private practice through word of mouth. Um, but the Heart Centre is a great, yeah, it's a great resource because they've got a very good internet presence and a lot of good materials and resources and good reputation. So they've been fantastic and generating lots of work. Yeah, I found the website really, really good personally. Um, being able to look up the sort of bio on each person that they yeah. had listed um, and figure out where you were located. And even I think your availability and stuff was all sort of listed as well. So it was really very mm. clear and easy to navigate. So yeah, it was a really good website. I liked it. Yeah. And the staff are really good too. The, the phone staff are great. That's good. That's good. And would you mind telling me what led you to specialize in those areas? Um, I think, I think, on some level, I think the first time I've heard of the concept of marriage counselling, I was pretty, pretty blown away by the concept. And I just, I remember thinking, so this is before I even did psychology, you know, back in my 20s, I remember thinking, wow, that would be extremely interesting and difficult and challenging and kind of respected anyone who would do that job. I just thought, gee, that'd be complex and amazing. Um, so I had I had sort of reverence for the for the idea of it, and then um, so I tried. So that led me to try to get that internship at Relationships Australia. Um, just my enthusiasm, I suppose, for the idea of it. Um, and I find that so much of the time in counselling, people are talking about relationships. I would say 
you know, 99 out of 100 people, no matter what the presenting issue, whether it's stress or anxiety or depression or whatever the presenting issue, people generally tend to talk about their relationships anyway. Not necessarily a romantic relationship, but like a friend or a family member or a colleague. So, so much of the work I think is about that. Um, so I decided to try and just do a lot of relationship counselling. So I try to do it about 50% of 50% relationship counselling, you know, mostly couples work and then 50% and deliberately try and do about 50% um, individual work. Yeah. I you like, find that I like that's, it. yeah. And that split, that seems to be a really relevant split. I guess I'm not really sure how I want to word it. Um, but as you say, we seem to be kind of a, a pack animal or we're very social beings. So that's probably why so much that's of what cool. we talk about is our relationships, but then mm. a lot of what we might need to work on is individual based as well. So that 50, 50 split, exactly. it kind of makes sense to me the way you're saying it. Yeah. And also that's absolutely right. Yeah. And also, um, I mean, I'm, I'm full-time private practice. So I'm doing a lot of hours and I don't really know if I could, it would be sensible to do a hundred percent couples work. Um, maybe some people do, but I don't know many people who do a hundred percent relation because it's really intense. You know, it's almost it's sort of the time goes really quickly with two people, you know, three people talking. But yeah, um, it's quite intense, and I think it's quite tiring and draining in in a way. Yeah. So I I don't know that I would want to do a hundred percent couples work. Yeah, that makes sense. Too, too intense. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine that with that 50% working with individuals as well, part of that might be conversations you don't want to have with your partner, spouse, significant other, things that you would prefer to talk about one-on-one. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. There's value that in that. Well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess just for our uh, listening couples who may not be aware, I just wanted to explain a little bit about why I've asked you in particular to feature on an episode of the podcast. Um, you know, coming from the perspective of a celebrant, one of the things that is legally required of us is that we provide information on relationship services to every single couple that wants to get married. Mm. Um, part of that is we believe it's based around the government's attempt at stemming the divorce rate and the belief that relationships and marriage and families are the cornerstone to our society, a functioning, healthy society. Um, so yeah, the idea is reducing that stigma about accessing services and making sure that people are aware that those services are there for them pre-marriage, during marriage, and even in the event of a breakdown of marriage. One of the other things that we do is during the ceremony, we have to make a legal statement. And part of that statement is to remind the couple of the solemn and binding nature of the relationship into which they're about to enter. So yeah. I really just wanted to really break all of that apart and delve into it for our couples. And because marriage isn't a light thing, don't get me wrong. They're the most joyous events and I absolutely love being a part of them, but yeah. marriage for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it's not a light thing to enter into and relationships mm. do take work. So mm. I thought it was really important that we covered some of that stuff. And I thought who better to talk to than a qualified psychologist. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. It's a good topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess initially I thought we would talk about what, what do you think are some of the most common reasons that people may access pre-marriage services? Pre-marriage services. Um, I think it's a particular, maybe it's a particular personality type. I've found that firstly, um, in the minority, so the minority of couples I see will come for kind of like pre-marital purposes. Uh, in other words, most of the time people will come to relationship counselling like during a crisis or just after a, a crisis. So they've, they've already been together for a while um, uh, and something will happen and it'll bring them there and they'll try and manage that crisis and then move on. So firstly, not many couples will come just for the purposes of um, preventive strategies. So I think what I've noticed is the ones who do tend to be a certain type of personality, um, quite diligent and conscientious types. Um, with uh, a good a good 
kind of like a wise sensible attitude of you know look it makes sense logically to um, do preventive strategies we do this with other aspects of our well-being and mental health and so on um, so it kind of makes sense given that as you said given it's such a um, you know powerful commitment particularly if the expectation is that yeah we're going to be together forever <laughs> it's like we might as well do it sensibly so most mostly it's a particular personality type it might be driven by one of the partners too so you know two people um one of them is usually the one who's kind of driving it and they're the one we, we jokingly call it in the profession the dragger and the draggy <laughs> so you have the um so yeah mostly it's one person um encouraging it and leading it and initiating it um but it's very interesting there's definitely a, a really noticeable difference in terms of the atmosphere with premarital counseling compared with crisis post-crisis um counseling um which has been yeah it's it's always interesting you can always tell very quickly when people are coming for premarital counseling yeah, <laughs> yeah. i can imagine yeah. Um, we, we're aware that there are a lot of uh, religious and cultural temples, churches uh, that require pre-marriage mm. courses to be undertaken before you're allowed to be married within that uh, church yes. or denomination. Um, mm. I, I know some people personally who were a part of that situation they were required to do it in order to be married at that church by that priest for example yeah and they said they got heaps out of it and thought it was really mm. really valuable and that more people should do it do you believe that there are reasons that we could encourage more and more couples to consider premarital services yeah i mean i think it should be normalized for sure um a lot of people will come to counselling and they'll maybe be a little bit embarrassed about it. So, for example, a couple might come, they've only been together for three or four months or six months and they're a little bit embarrassed because they think, oh, you know, we must be something wrong with us if we have to have counselling so early. Um, or, you know, maybe if we need help, professional help at this point, then maybe that indicates that there's something not quite right about us or us as a couple. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely a stigma attached to it. It implies that there's something wrong if you're going to go and get help. Um, so I think it would be, it'd be great if it were more, more normalised um, and people were more aware of what it could entail. Uh, and also, you, as the client or as the couple, you have choices. You can use the time the way you want to use it. You don't, you don't have to. You can go heavy. You can go light. You can be very problem focused. You could you could decide to talk about, you know, the the relative weaknesses of the relationship or the worst arguments you've had and some of the really dark stuff if you wanted to. Um, or if not, you could just talk about um, how to enhance it, or you know what what sort of things we should keep an eye on to make sure that we stay close or harmonious or whatever. So, I think it's good for people to know what it can involve you've really got a lot of choice as the client in terms of how you make use of the time so it'd be good if it were normalized more and there was more information about it yeah definitely i mean i guess it only makes sense doesn't it when you're talking about two people living together and creating a life together you've got two different personalities two sets of values uh, two different emotional capacities in all different areas it, it only makes sense that there's going to be conflict at some stage and yes. you might want to come come to a service where you can learn the skills to manage those conflicts, prevent those conflicts or whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah, completely. Where I, I see it, I mean, I don't, I don't even get on with myself very well all of the time. You know, I can, I can, <laughs> I can have, I can have internal conflict or I can, I can disagree with myself every day. So if I'm not, if I can't have a stable relationship with myself, all the time how can i expect to have a stable relationship with anyone else that's sort of one, one way of looking at it so it's inevitable no matter how much you like the other person no matter how uh, much you love them no matter how compatible you think you are if you put two people in the same environment together for long enough they're gonna start to wear away at each other yeah 
And I think talking about that now is even more relevant considering we've just had all these months of lockdown and isolation and being in each other's faces 24 seven. I'm sure a lot of couples are probably starting to see some areas they might want to work on. Definitely. It's been fascinating. The it's had, it seems to kind of have amplified whatever's already going on in the relationship. So if there's been a lot of, generally speaking, so if there's been a lot of squabbling, there'll be more squabbling. Um, if there's been a, too much distance in the relationship or detachment, that becomes more evident. Um, or if there's a personality clash, it becomes more obvious. But because, but I wouldn't make too many generaliz, I, I wouldn't make too many generalizations because I've I've been surprised myself. I've I've been surprised at how couple how well some couples have gone. And I've also been surprised how badly it's gone for other couples. So yeah, yeah, you can't always surprised. tell, can you? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, lots of moving parts. That's right. And I imagine that going through life with somebody, there's going to be many things that are going to put you in these situations. So whether it be coronavirus, which came out of nowhere, none of us could see coming, lockdown and mm. isolation. But then there's also things like having children completely changes mm. the dynamic of a relationship and a household and yeah, getting a new job or a promotion or moving a house or something like that. Like lots of things can happen in your lives together that can completely change things. So yeah. relationship services could be relevant throughout the lifespan of your relationship. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's just good to, if people aren't thinking about all those challenges that you just mentioned um, to have them just put, put in front of them, you know, just to even just as a, a list, like with the premarital materials that I showed you. So they've got these kind of these big categories, you know, these are typical challenges that you'll face in a long-term relationship, um, whether it's individual stresses or relationship stresses or external stresses from the environment could be financial, um, work-related, health-related, having children. So just to, just to go through those um, systematically um, and consider, well, look, if, if we hit the rough in one of those areas, what would we do? How do we think we would handle it? You know, what, um, what if one of us got sick? What if um, one of us lost our job? Um, how do we think we would manage it if something like that were to come along? and then just um, try and see it coming. One of my favourite things to do with couples, either couples who are having a pretty, usually I'll do it with a couple who's doing pretty well when they're pretty, things are pretty stable. And they're, um, they might have come through a crisis and things are quite stable and they're just trying to stay on an even keel and they've run out of things to talk about in counselling. Um, one of the things I like to do is predict the next plausible crisis. So like knowing, knowing what our lives look like, knowing what I'm like, knowing what you're like, uh, knowing what's coming up for us, given everything we know, what is a really predictable, plausible kind of rupture or crisis that we might go through? We must just sort of be, you know, you put your heads together and try and imagine it. It might be something like, oh, well, we've got the in-laws coming to visit for Christmas. That always stresses us out, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you kind of visualise it and you kind of envision it with a view to, to preempting it and uh, counteracting it. What would we do? If that were to happen, it's pretty likely. How did it affect us? Um, and what would we do to get through it? That's a really great thing to do. And that's a good thing to do in premarital premarital counseling it's a great use of the time yeah that's a that's a really good idea i really like the sound of that one yeah the preempting and it that could yeah. be different for every couple so yes. i understand why it would be something that as a couple you'd need to discuss what could some of our stresses or crises be mm. do you feel that um you may get some value out of any type of relationship service or counselling in terms of identifying each other's triggers and on the flip side of that coin, identifying each other's love languages and things like that as well. Do you think they're really valuable discussions? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the love languages concept is actually, is excellent. It's a great concept. Um, I don't know if people are, it's pretty well known, but I don't know if everyone would be familiar with the concept, but 
basically it's about um, taking into consideration individual differences, which is great. Um, people have different um, ways of expressing love and people value love in different ways. Um, not one size fits all. So the idea of trying to understand your style and preferences in the other person's and then trying to make um, make it flow, basically. That's a great concept. What was the what was the, the one you mentioned before that? The triggers. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Or stress. I my, suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could. That's one of the one of the most powerful, deepest ways you can work in counselling. I think is, you know, provided there's enough trust in the room and provided there's enough kind of uh, comfort and safety is that you explore your own and the other person's triggers or buttons or insecurities or sensitivities um, or your baggage or some term like that. So trying to um, identify what your vulnerabilities are or your sensitivities are and how they might come to play in the relationship, how they might show up. Um, that's a very, that's a really deep way of working and, you know, kind of very personal. Um, but that could be, that could be a very good use of the time as well. If people are brave enough to go there. Yeah. Like I, I suppose I bring that up as well is even just from my own perspective, particularly I think as I'm getting a little bit older, you know, I'm just, I'm not in my twenties anymore. So I think things like, you know, if I get snappy or upset about something and then I think, is it really about that? You know, like I'm, yeah. I'm cracking it because you didn't put your dishes in the dishwasher. Am I actually annoyed about that small, fairly insignificant thing mm. or is there something deeper at play here? And I suppose yeah. that's why, the talk about the triggers and the sensitivities and the baggage and that can all be really important as well is figuring out what are you actually yeah. reacting to here? Yeah. What's really going on? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But um, I think that's something that most of us don't know, you know, like I just, I know I'm annoyed about the cup, but I don't know why yeah. I'm annoyed about the cup and getting, what, is it, what does it represent? Yeah. yeah. Getting these services that a qualified professional can really help you figure that out. Yeah, there's a there's a thing, a phenomenon I call uh, fighting over nothing or mysterious conflict, and that's really common. So people will come to counselling and they'll say, "We have no idea what's going on. It's really weird. Like we're having fights over the dumbest stuff, you know, um, or or silly little innocuous things will turn into, you know, like a crazy fight, and we don't actually understand what's going on, what's really going on." So if it's not about the dishwasher, it's not about the lawnmower, it's not about the spoon <laughs> or whatever, yeah. then what is it about what's actually really going on? Yeah, and it could be... So yeah, you can have ideas. Yeah, and you can have... There are different ways. It's hard work, but I think there are, there are different ways in to try to work out what's really going on. Like one of them is what you mentioned before about the sensitivities or the, or the triggers. That's, that's, a, that's one way to work out what's really going on. Another way is to bring up some of the big dynamics like power, power dynamics. Just do this um, assessment of the, the perception of the power balance in the relationship. That can be super powerful. Um, and you can do that in different ways. But one way is to just say, look, um, what's your sense of what the power balance is like here in the relationship. Do you feel that you have power or status or do you feel like your partner has more? Um, and just play around with those perceptions and just get them out in the open. Um, and if there are significant imbalances, like if one person thinks they're disempowered or that it's unfair in some particular way, then we can set about working out, okay, well, um, what adjustments could you guys make that might make it feel more fair or more reasonable or whatever. It's a great thing to do. It's a great thing to talk yeah. about. I think the really key word that you said there as well is perception. You know, you, you may not realise on the one hand that you're making that person feel that way or that 
you, you don't realize that they feel that you're taking their power or that you're being too powerful in the relationship and they haven't found a way to express that to you. Yeah. Like perception is so important. It's what well, I didn't mean to do that can be a really yes. common thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's sort of like a rule in, I don't know if it's a rule, but if something I've, I've noticed anyway, is if it is, this is very much about perception. So if one person one person is bothered by something, it matters. It matters. It's a relationship problem. So if one person thinks we're having too much conflict and the other one thinks we're not, or one person thinks that um, they're not close enough or the communication isn't quite right, then, then there's a problem. So you can't, um, until both people feel that that, aspect of the relationship has improved or smoothed out it's an issue yeah yeah so you can't say that's your problem not mine because i don't feel the same yeah that's it that's why (laughs) it's one of the one of the challenges i think as humans we're just prone to do that we're prone to go but i don't think or feel that so i don't really know why i need to be part of this conversation i think we're all guilty (laughs) of doing that sometimes (laughs) Yeah. 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 And going back to love languages, I just wanted to touch on that one just a little bit more um, for those who may not have heard the concept or may not be aware of it. Um, We don't have to go through them all individually, but, you know, as an example, my husband perceives love as hanging out the laundry. I just see that as something that needs doing around the house. I don't see how that's an act of love. So where he thinks he's expressing love to me, but I'm not accepting that as an expression of love, that can even cause a minor conflict, just as an example. Yeah. 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 It's a good example. That's no, good. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 very, it's very interesting because you could have, there might be a whole bunch of um, things that make you feel loved, but you don't actually do those things yourself. Yeah. So... You might, you might find getting, receiving a gift, you know, a thoughtful present just makes you feel loved, makes you feel wonderful, makes you feel like a million dollars and it's just deeply um, pleasing. But you never think to buy anyone else a present. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter as long as there's a reasonable match. So the, 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 I guess the core of the concept is you've got your style and your preferences and they've got theirs and they're not going to be perfectly matched. Um, And that's okay. As long as people make adjustments. So if effect, you know, if, um, if scratching your partner's back really, they love that and it really works for them and you're quite happy to do it. Just do it. Yeah. (laughs) It's an easy thing really, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. But it's hard when there's a uh, this hard when there's a big clash. So there might be something that you your partner absolutely loves, and you know and there's nothing quite like it, and it's something you do not like doing, or you have an aversion to doing it. That's when it gets tricky. And there's like yeah. a powerful. Yeah, because I don't want people to think what I'm saying is you have to change your love languages. I just think it's important to understand them. You know, once I realised, ah, oh, my husband thinks that he's showing me love when he hangs out the washing. Now I can appreciate the gesture. Whereas before knowing that that's what he was doing, I didn't appreciate the gesture. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely. not asking him to change how he expresses love and I'm not necessarily going to change how I express love, but understanding what he's doing when he does it helps with our relationship. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and also there might be little, yeah, you're right. So a lot of it's just about making attitudinal adjustments. But also there might be, there often there are little little modifications that each person can do as well, just even like subtle things. So there might be a little, something that's a little bit outside your comfort zone, something that you wouldn't, you wouldn't naturally do, but, um, you know, you learn that it works basically. So there are often little adjustments people can make that make it run a bit more smoothly. It's a good, really good concept. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. Once I heard about love languages, I was wanting to learn more and it, I, I found it really beneficial in my own relationship. So I think that's a good one. And yeah, yeah on the 
flip side of that coin as well, understanding sensitivities and triggers and baggage and all of that is really handy as well. Yeah. Um, what would you say are some of the, the main reasons why you would like to encourage couples to do more in terms of relationship counselling, whether it be pre-marriage or during marriage? What do you think are some of the key things that people get out of it that they might not realise? Good question that they might not realise. <laughs> um, because there is so much of a stigma around it, isn't there? Like you were saying, people tend to not access the services until they're in crisis or if they do access the services, they feel they're admitting defeat or failure that they couldn't manage their relationship themselves. But that's not really the case, is it? Well, I, I'm, I'm probably... Relationship counsellors probably get something of a biased sample because if people actually do end up coming to counseling, they probably have a certain degree of open-mindedness and the right attitude anyway, even if they, even if they were kind of like dra dragged there by their partner. So we probably get a little bit of a biased sample. Um, but I certainly, you know, will commonly work with people who are very open, openly admitting that they're really, they don't want to, don't want to be there. So that's very common. So in the beginning of the session, I'll always ask each individual, look, why are you here personally? Um, why are you here as an individual and what are you hoping to get from the time? And sometimes people will say, look, to be honest, I don't really want to be here or I don't think we need it. Or um, I don't, you know, I haven't had good experiences of counselling in the past or something like that. Um, so in those cases, when someone's clearly uncomfortable or they don't have much confidence, um, if it goes well, what they will realise is that they can use the time that they the way they want to use it. So one of the one of the the, the um, uh, hidden benefits is that people who are really daunted by counselling can, if they have a positive experience, particularly in that first session, can have a really powerful effect. They could end up being a lot more talkative than they thought they would be. They could go be a lot more, particularly um, males, to, for, to be honest. It's a fair generalisation to say that um, men are usually um, more daunted by the process and they are less, less probably less verbally confident. That's a generalisation. Um, I think it's a fair generalisation. And so if you can make the, the less confident partner comfortable quickly, um, so it's often the male partner, if you can make him feel, realise that you're on his side, this is his time as well, he can use the time the way you want to use it. Um, so whether it's a male or a female, if, they, if you can um, make them feel comfortable and make them realise that you're there for them and they're your client as well, um, then it can be really, really powerful. Um, so it's very, the first impression is really important, the first session. I'm going to make my own generalisation now as well, yeah. <laughs> or um, my own speculation, I guess. Do you feel <clears throat> that maybe one of the reasons that one party is commonly not confident, not comfortable, doesn't think they need to be there, is more because there may be a fear there that they're going to be told all the bad things about them? You know what I mean? Like that they're holding up a, a mirror almost that you're going to be their mirror saying, well, this is what you're doing wrong in this relationship. And this is what your flaws are and what makes you a bad person or a bad partner. Do you think mm -hmm. there's some fear there that that's what's going to happen? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, people will say, um, people will often say that they're afraid of getting ganged up on, or they have felt ganged up on in previous counseling. That's one of the, the negative things that you can hear about people's experience in counselling. And then that's obviously if that happens, it's completely counterproductive. That's the last thing you want to happen. Yeah. So and it's a shame that they felt that way really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not necessarily the fault of the counsellor because some people are very, very sensitive and they're very defensive um, or they don't, they're not there to get, um, feedback on the self some people are not there they don't go in there with the intention of self-knowledge that's not why they're there they're there to try to persuade their partner of something so if the with some people if if you put any pressure on them at all 
or if you imply that they have some uh, role in the in the conflict or they have they are partly responsible they're really shocked by that and that's not that's not why they came so my role and i think the role of the counselor is often to if you if you meet someone who is very righteous or very 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 defensive um and uh, feels that they're completely blameless the role is to try to gently encourage them to kind of turn the gaze on themselves a little bit more um, it's a real it's tricky but it's that's the kind of the art is to try to encourage people to think more about their own conduct than the other person's in fact that's that's uh, to me that's almost it in a nutshell that would be the the, the most imp the critical ingredient for success in relationship counseling is each individual's ability to self-reflect take and take more responsibility for the state of the relationship yeah and i guess understanding that you're both doing that it's not one person saying they're the problem in this relationship and it's not one person being told or mm. made to feel that they're the problem but both of you contribute to the relationship exactly yeah spot on 100 percent. and yeah. some people some couples will come in already with that mindset which is really makes it easy yeah yeah we'll go in and we're like they can see that it's a two-way street um they they take a pro they're already taking appropriate responsibility those couples are a pleasure to work with and pretty easy because then you know your role is just facilitate the conversation and help it flow but when you have two it's very common for people to come in with the in a blame mentality where they come in and their 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 goal is to try to convince me that their partner is the problem yeah yeah so you have two 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 people both people trying to convince me that the other person is the problem yeah <laughs> yeah do you find again a complete generalization it's just a speculation on my end that yeah. the dragger is the one who may be saying or implying i'm the one doing all the work i'm the one trying to fix this relationship i'm the one trying to communicate they're not contributing they're not coming to the party here and so therefore it's all their fault that this isn't working and then the draggy yeah. is sitting there saying well from my perspective i feel like you're attacking me and i feel like you're trying to make me feel like i'm the bad person here when i'm not you're the nag or you're do you know do you feel like you've got that war happening quite often absolutely yeah you just described <laughs> you just described a typical day in the, <laughs> a typical day in my working life Oh wow! <laughs> so we use the you use the word nag. Nag. We'll use yeah. that as an example. Um, it's not my favourite so word, to be fair, but yeah, I, I imagine well, it comes well, up. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's use let's use yeah. it as an example of a common word that's used in relationship counselling. It's a very good example. So again, it's a, it's partly a matter of perception. So you've got your nagger and your naggy. three ways of looking at it one way of looking at it is that the problem is that some this person a is a nag that's one way of looking at it if person a weren't such a nag we wouldn't have a problem second way of looking at it is if person b lifted their game and did the right thing they wouldn't need to be nagged yeah what's <laughs> their fault if they fix that then the problem would be solved third way of looking at it is that they both need to make an adjustment so the nagger needs to modify the way that they try to persuade the other um, or influence them they need to to work on that and do it differently um, in a way that is effective and doesn't seem like nagging and the naggy does has to not give the other person a, a chance to nag them so if it's about housework for example very common you know super common issue as you can imagine in relationship counseling so the the naggy should establish okay what what are my roles and responsibilities what are our roles and responsibilities in terms of housework or whatever let's be really clear about it and that way you know exactly what you need to do 
to reduce the chances of the nagger nagging you. So I would say to each of them as an individual, I would put the challenge to them as an individual. If you don't want, um, if you don't want to be nagged, what are you going to do about it? You need to do something about that. You need to adjust your behaviour so that your your partner won't have to nag you. It's your responsibility to fix that. And to the nagger, um, if nagging doesn't work, you're going to have to modify the way you approach them, which is easier said than done. It's not, <laughs> not an easy Everything. thing, but... Everything's easier than said said than done in relationships, yeah. isn't it? It's like <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned housework there because I noticed there's a whole section devoted to that in the resources that you sent me. So I did want oh, to yeah. touch on that a little bit because yeah. I imagine even from my own experience and everybody I know, one of the biggest fights that we have in our relationships is over housework. Who's doing more? who does it more often, who notices it needs doing as opposed to doesn't even see that it's there or whatever the actual issue might be. It seems to be a huge conflict in all relationships. Would that be fair to say? It's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's one of the common subject matters. Um, Mm. So yeah, it's quite common Um, for some couples. It's not an issue at all, Mm. Um, but it's, it's usually something of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got a whole, section devoted to it so it must be something that you feel is worth discussing in every relationship do you have it like a main just one little nugget of advice for our listening couples on how they can improve the situation with their housework arguments (laughs) definitely um uh, first one that comes to mind is clarity so most nearly every couple who has a um, an issue around housework, there's a lack of clarity. There's a lack of clarity around who, roles and responsibilities. Who is actually in charge of what? I would say almost 100% of the time that's, that's part of the problem. So one of the, and that's a shame, you know, it's a shame if the, the couple's having conflict because of a lack of clarity or a lack of communication around it. So the first thing that I would encourage the couple to do is to try to try to get some clarity around who's responsible for what. Um, and if that means, you know, writing it down, then do that. You know, some couples are love doing that sort of thing and they'll be really conscientious and they'll have spreadsheets and um, lists on the fridge and stuff. If that works fine, no worries, do that. That's right. Whatever but works. May, yeah. You may not need to though. It might be just a matter of talking about it um, and just saying, but be specific. That would be the first piece of advice. If you, if you need to get clarity around who's responsible for what and be very specific. So what I would say to the, let's say one, one partner is being accused of being slack and not, not, um, not doing enough. I would say to that partner, um, get, be extremely Get, get clarity around what your roles and responsibilities are. Write them down in a list. Let's say it's a Saturday. Let's say they're doing, couples doing housework on Saturday morning, for example. There's an agreement that that's when we do a big clean of the house, for example. I would say have a very clear uh, list of tasks that you have to do. Do all of them, <laughs> obviously. Like, do your thing. And then... After that, if you feel that your partner is still hassling you and haranguing you or nagging you or whatever, you can point to the list and you can say, I have done the things that we agreed on. Remember, we agreed on this. But it can be, you know, it's not always that easy because maybe the emphasis then might be on like the quality of the work or how yeah, long it took Yeah, that's them. the thing. Yeah, it's much more nuanced than that, isn't it? It's like, well, when yeah. I clean the toilet, I do it this way and to this standard. So when you clean the toilet, I expect you to do the same thing, but that might not be yeah. a fair expectation. So, yeah, is there, you're right. There are lots and lots of nuances. So you'd start with trying to get clarity, and and then if you still have that can that can solve a lot of the problems actually. But then if you still have problems after that, then you know you address the issues after that. Um, so uh, it's a, it's a, often a problem if the two people have very, very different standards and expectations. Yeah. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Like I'm sitting here thinking to myself, 
I'm spending this time with this great psychologist where I can talk about all these really interesting things for listening couples and ha- on how to sustain their relationship in a healthy way over the long term. But we're talking about housework and it seems a little bit silly in a way, but in the reality of it, it is one of the biggest things that we all deal with in our relationships, mm. isn't it? So. Yeah, it, the content seems silly, doesn't it? The content seems trivial and can be almost embarrassing, you know. Why, why are we, I can't believe we're talking about something so mundane. But as you know, it's loaded with meaning and it's very emotional. It's about, it, it's about respect. It's about um, uh, dignity. It's about perception of power. Um, it's about um, care and support. You know, um, if 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 it's if it's unbalanced, then does my partner care about me? If my partner isn't um, pulling their weight, what does that say about their respect of me? Or what does it say about how much they love me? So it's very emotional. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you said all of that because ultimately, that is what. That's why we're fighting about it. You know, it seems like a silly thing to fight about it, but we're all fighting about it for good reason. And it, it is something that a simple thing like a list and just having those discussions around it can really, really help with how you feel on that yeah. deeper emotional level about it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there by saying in the discussions around it. So it's not like you, can, you can't just set the task list and lock it in forever. It's got to be fluid. It might be a case of, you know, we we talk about it once a fortnight or once a month, we revisit it. Or it might be there's an agreement that if if at any stage one of us feels that it's unfair, we talk about it. So if I feel that I've got I've got, you know, I have too many too many tasks on the Saturday or whatever or throughout the week and it's unfair, it's my responsibility to bring that up with you in the best possible way. So there has to be an understanding that it's okay we can we can revisit it um, and try and be open-minded about it and make adjustments as we go. Yeah. It's getting my mind sort of thinking on to like the next level too is I feel like we're now starting to head into the territory of sacrifice and compromise. You know, something's come up. I can't perform all of the tasks on my list this week or I can't, I can't do what we've agreed I would do for whatever reason. And having those discussions around what are you willing to sacrifice for each other? What are you willing to compromise on? Where are you not willing to compromise? Mm. And that is a very big sort of umbrella, yeah. I guess, of, a, of an issue or, or a conversation in a relationship. Would you agree? Yeah. that's yeah. Very, I'm like, um, am I going the right way with this? You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think, um, I don't know, when you said that, it made me think about, uh, big the broad topic of expectations of the relationship expectations of a relationship um, why are we together why um, what is the purpose of becoming a couple um, is it to if it's all about compromise and sacrifices then that sounds like it's something that would diminish you um, most people would like to think that they're together to enhance, you know, I'm, I'm in a relationship because it will enhance me or it will enhance my life. Um, to me, it's all of the above. It will, a, a long-term relationship hopefully will enhance you and make you, uh, uh, in fact, that's a definition of a healthy relationship, maybe one that makes you sort of thrive as an individual or it makes you, you know, it can makes you, it enhances who you are, this healthy relationship that you're in. But in order to make the relationship work, you have to make sacrifices. You have to make certain compromises, certain adjustments. Um, Within your boundaries, yeah, I suppose, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it becomes difficult at times to work out where the, yeah, where the, where the edges of that uh, are. So... Um, to what extent should I compromise my individual freedom for the good of the relationship? Yeah. Yeah. And that can only become more prominent when you bring children into the fold, I think, you know, I could be very much generalizing again, but I personally feel that when you bring children into a relationship, there is an even 
bigger feeling now around what you're willing to sacrifice and compromise for the children, mm. for the good of the entire household. And that changes over the years. It's never the same thing. Yeah. It's Absolutely. like you said, fluid, like everything about our relationships and our families is fluid. Mm. Yeah. It's a, that's a perfect example of the, it's like a paradox. We, we, we choose to have, we choose to have a child to enhance our relationship or our lives or our family. And by doing that, we, um, we are forced to make compromises and sacrifices and give up a lot of our personal freedom. So we choose to have children to enhance our lives. In doing so, we restrict our lives. Yeah. <laughs> it's just good. Yeah, I think it's good to, I don't think everyone needs to explore all that stuff, but I think it is, it's good to be able to have those conversations yeah, I feel like we're coming back to the sort the same sort of themes as well. Though is that the the healthy side of things being that you enhance and thrive and enrich each other's lives, and the the coming up with ways, skills, strategies to address a com a conflict as it arrives, as it arises. God, I can't spit my mm. words out today, Stuart. <laughs> Um, and yeah, the, the big theme we seem to be, keep coming back to is that everything's always fluid. So I feel like the big point that we're kind of making in all these really good conversations we're having is that relationship services can be super, super valuable all the time because your lives and your personalities and like everything's always evolving and changing. So yeah. this isn't a one-stop shop, do a pre-marriage course for a few weeks and you're set for life. This is more of a think about how you can and work on your relationship over the long term. Yeah, you, you can, I have a couple, for example, I have a couple who I see once a year. Yeah. Which is awesome. I think it's great. Um, yeah. Just to touch they base. Will, yeah. Okay. They will come more often occasionally. So I might've, I might've been seeing this couple for, I don't know, maybe, maybe seven or eight years or something like that. So they initially came to counseling um, in a, in a crisis, a really serious crisis. So they're trying to save the relationship. So we, we, you know, did a deep operation and, you know, talked about all sorts of important things and tried to help them through. They got through the crisis and then they started to come more infrequently. So rather than coming weekly or fortnightly, they started coming every, you know, two or three months or something like that. And then at one, and then they kept slowing it down and then, then they decided it wouldn't it be good if we came um, once a year no matter so they, they will come no matter how well things are going no matter how smoothly um and it's a chance to kind of revisit the whole year so in that in that session we would talk about all the standout things that, that occurred during the year so we might talk about what the conflict was like you know how how well they managed conflict we might talk about the intimacy or the connection or the bond um, we might talk about the you know, family issues, their kids. Um, they might tell me a few stories about things that happened to them individually, but it's this sort of um, stock take or whatever, servicing the car. And they know they can come more frequently if they need to. Of course. I love that so idea. I, like I think that. that's great. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's really great. Yeah. Even like how you, how you um, said it was like akin to getting your car serviced, but still yeah. your relationship needs a service. We need to tune up every now and then, or at least a check-in just a check-in would be yeah. really good. And to show that you both still value the relationship, even yeah. just attending that once a year, we both still value this relationship and we want to keep yes. working on it. Yeah. That's really good. A lot of people will say, um, I, I mean, I've experienced this myself um, as a client when I've, when I have counseling myself, what I find is that, um, a lot of what a lot of people find is that there is some value in knowing that you have a session booked in. So if you know that, you know, in two months time, we have a counseling session already booked in, it can have a kind of a psychological holding effect. Um, where, and it might make you uh, confident that look, if I if I'm a bit trepidatious about bringing this issue up with my partner now, I know that we'll talk about it then. So we're not sweet. We're, we're not going to, we're not um, suppressing it or we're temporarily suppressing it until that counseling session. And in that we'll, we'll go deep and we'll go hard. And in the meantime, we can, maybe we can just got to get on with the day to day um, 
Yeah, rather than being conflict day to day. Yeah, or worried that worried that I oh, will probably will we ever talk about this issue? Because if so, if you know that you have an appointment booked in, it can have a yeah, it can sort of boost confidence. Yeah, yeah, I really do. I love that idea. I might have to uh, bring that one up with my husband myself. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> I think it's great. I think that's a, a beautiful place to sort of finish as well, unless you have any closing ideas or general advice you might like to, to say to some of our listening couples thinking about getting married. I, I think, let me, what do I want to say? I want a couple of things. Firstly, if you do decide to get relationship counselling, just remember that it's your time and you can decide what you talk about in the session. So um, you might use that time to try to do a really thorough analysis of the relationship. You might look in, do, use the materials and questionnaires and you might want to do a really thorough kind of overview. Um, or you could completely throw that out and you could just talk about one thing that really concerns you or bothers you. It doesn't have to be problem focused as well. You, you, you could talk about the nitty gritty and all the, all the problems as you see it. But another way of using the time would be to just talk about how can we make it awesome? How can we make our relationship fantastic? Or how can we enhance the, the good qualities of our relationship? So just that's, that's one idea. You can use the time the way you want to use it. And a good counsellor will, will go with the flow. And they, will, um, they will let you use the time the way you want to use it. Yeah. yeah. It's the way to get the most value out of it, isn't it? There's no point yeah. in pointing them in a direction they're not keen to go in. Yeah, it won't, won't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess from my point of view as well, where I'm sort of, my brain's sort of starting to head, particularly after this conversation today, is I really just want to reduce the stigma personally. I really just want to put it out there that it, yeah, it doesn't mean that you couldn't fix your relationship or that you need help or that you failed. And it doesn't mean that anyone's going to sit there pointing the finger, placing blame on one person and you don't have to be scared of that self-reflection. There's so much value to it. You know, there's so much value to, to sitting there and figuring out, Oh, that's why that happens. Oh, Oh, that's actually Mm. something concrete I can do about it. Yes. Um, you know, as an example, I think we all talk about, we need a date night. We need a date night. We need to reconnect. But once you get on the date night, do you talk about things of value or are you just so Mm. stoked to be out together that you don't actually get any value out of it? Do you know know what I mean? Like I feel like from a a counselor can really help you with those more concrete tools and strategies. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great idea. So let's, let's use that as an example. Let's say (laughs) um, you could say there are two different types of quality time. One, one version of quality time could be we have a counselling session and it's, quali- it's quality because we're, you know, going deep and we're, you know, doing this operation on the relationship. Another version of quality time might be we just go and watch a movie together or just go and have a laugh and keep just it light. some time, yeah. So if you're doing both, you know, you can mm. kind of be covering both bases. Yeah, yeah, both are important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think that's our sign-off, guys. It's important. <laughs> your relationship <laughs> is important. Services to help you enhance your relationship is important. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Stuart, for taking the time to chat with me today. I really do appreciate it. I personally, yeah. I had a great time. I thought we covered Excellent. some really good Went stuff. Quickly. Went very <laughs> yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at the time and I was like, whoa, an hour? Okay, I think I've taken up enough yeah. of Stuart's Sunday. <laughs> That was really good talking to you. Great questions, really great questions. Thanks, Stuart. I'll let you enjoy the rest of your weekend and lockdown is coming to an end. So I hope you have a great time. (laughs) Thanks, you too. Good to talk to you. As always, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Effortless Weddings podcast. Give the Instagram at Effortless Weddings a follow. This is where I promote upcoming episodes and also ask you for your feedback on who you want to hear from, what information you need to know and what areas you might need a hand with. If you happen to have some positive things to say and might like to help encourage others to join the tribe, give us a little review on your preferred podcast streaming service. 
And to keep hearing more great wedding advice from some of the best the industry has to offer, hit subscribe and get notified each week as new episodes drop. Once again, my name is Heidi, and if you have any questions, ideas for an episode, or even want to share your wedding planning stories, feel free to contact me. All of my links and information will be listed in the episode description. Thanks again for listening. Keep doing happy dances, and remember that life is always better when sprinkled with cheesy love stuff.